I bring greetings today from the people of Westmount Presbyterian Church in London, where I serve. There's a strong connection between Glenview and Westmount, but I'll leave that story for another time. I feel privileged to have been asked to come today and to share in these birthday celebrations with you. Indeed, it feels good to be home today. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Christians are too often like thermometers, registering and reflecting the temperature all around them when in fact they are called to be thermostats, influencing and changing the spiritual, moral, and cultural atmosphere of the society in which we live. Thermostats. Regulating, influencing, changing, even transforming the temperature, the reality, the world. As a Christian, it seems like I'm constantly pulled between the ways of God and the ways of the world. We're called to live in Christ, but we also physically live in this world, here and now. In his famous book, Christ and Culture, theologian Reinhold Niebuhr discusses the relationship between these two things. He presents several options for how they interact together. And in the end, he sees Christ as the transformer of culture. We are to be transformed by the power of God's Spirit living through us. We are called to be people who are all about transformation. And we stand with the Apostle Paul, as he wrote in Romans, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Reinhold Niebuhr, by insisting that transformed minds without bodies presented as living sacrifices, is rather a pious intellectualism that doesn't really amount to very much. Thinking the right things without doing anything about them don't amount to much. No, the whole point of a transformed mind is that we might be discerning people that we might perceive in our midst, in our day-to-day lives, in our professional lives, in our life as a community, what discipleship is, what the church is. You know, God has always been about this business of transformation. It's what God is up to, the Spirit moving in the very beginning over the darkness and the chaos, the abundance that we find in Eden, the very breath of God given to human beings, Noah's deliverance. Moses himself was drawn out of the water. The wilderness was a scary place, yes, but it also brought about song and gratitude and growth. There was being freed from an Egyptian prison and Hannah with her little son, Samuel. 
And the stories of transformation go on and on and on, leading to life from death and an empty tomb. Paul spends much of the first 11 chapters in the letter to Rome talking about ideas, about theories, about doctrines. But in chapter 12 that we read this morning, he begins to get practical. It's where the rubber meets the road, if you will. Listen to what the message interpretation has to say. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for God. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking about it. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. These are the implications of God's grace on the way in which we live. What follows are these 23 imperatives that Paul gives us. Quite dramatically, he challenges these people, he challenges us as the church to engage in a task that would take us, I imagine, our whole earthly lives to fulfill these 23 imperatives. I might suggest there are five themes that seem to emerge out of them. The first is to take your life and to place it before God as an offering. Fix your attention on God. You might be changed from the inside out in a way that you didn't expect. It's maybe the best thing that you can do for God. The second is the reminder that we are interconnected. We are a community together. We find our meaning, we find our purpose together. We were made as people who are naturally creative, resourceful, and whole. Remember in the very beginning, God said that everything that was made was good and good and good. We often forget that part, I think. So don't compare yourselves to other people. Don't try being somebody that you're not. Instead, just celebrate the gifts that you've been given. Three, love. Love from the very center of who you are. Be good friends. Be good friends, love deeply, practice playing second fiddle. And remember the second part. We're interconnected together. It's not about you. Four, serve the Lord, but serve the Lord relying on God's Spirit. Be open and patient. Try to be open. Try to be patient Don't quit when it gets difficult. Instead, trust God even more. Turn to God in prayer. Five, extend hospitality to everyone. Not just to the people that we like. Not just to the people that are nice to us. But extend hospitality to everyone, even your enemies, 
Be present with people where they are, not where we want them to be. Discover that beauty that is in everyone. Be generous with your resources. Paul challenges us to be transformers. Transformation, though, I don't think, is about some big, larger-than-life, grandiose gesture, though. Transformation, I believe, true to life and faith, is about a bunch of seemingly small and insignificant acts, like love and hospitality and generosity and grace, that in their sum total are transformational. In Hawaii, there's a state hospital. And some 30 years ago, there was a ward for mentally ill criminals. This was a tough place, a hard place. These were serious offenders who were there, people who had very significant mental challenges. Things were often decaying and depressing in this ward. As the story goes, the place was so bleak that the paint wouldn't even stick on the walls. People walked with their backs against those walls. There was no trust. They were afraid, threatened. The staff turnaround was so high, nobody wanted to work there. As soon as someone could get transferred to another ward, another unit, they were gone. Well, a new doctor arrived. Dr. Stanley Hugh Len. He was a clinical psychologist by training. And everyone thought, oh, great, another new doctor. The nurses in particular were not so excited. Here we go, more theories, new ideas, different strategies. He didn't do that, though. Instead, he spent time getting to know people getting to know the staff, getting to know the patients. He read about inmates' files. He always seemed to have a smile on his face. Even in the midst of chaos and difficult moments, he was always generous with his time. He started talking about being 100% responsible for himself. He talked about the fact that he could change things by taking responsibility for who he was. He would often ask the question of himself, what is going on in me that is having me experience others in this way? He came up with a mantra, the ward did, that they said together daily, especially in difficult moments. It went like this, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, Thank you. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. It seemed to have a cleansing quality. Got rid of some of the negativity, the hatred, the anger. Encouraged people to remember who they were at their core. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. Things changed. Inmates were allowed to go outside. Every once in a while, someone smiled. That paint seemed to stick to the walls all of a sudden. 
There was a sense of freedom that developed. Less drugs had to be prescribed. Four years later, Dr. Hugh Len no longer had a job there. That ward, it had closed. There were no longer any inmates. They had been rehabilitated. Our human action is always divinely inspired. God is at work moving us towards God, moving us towards God's future, God's kingdom. We, who are many, are one body in Christ. Throughout the ages, the church has been faced with the challenge of being God's people. It seems that in the global north these days, that many churches have become so comfortable that we've lost an identity, our identity as an alternative community. We're driven by the desire for relevance, seduced by the much-coveted three Bs of success, building, budget, bodies. Churches seem to be playing footsies with the dominant culture without realizing that soon they've gone to bed with domination, privilege, accumulation, and consumption. The transformed church is about a different invitation, a different way of being, a call to live differently, to live a life in the spirit of the crucified and risen one. Indeed, we become the church when we conspire, when we breathe together with the Spirit. We become the church when we conspire, when we share that life-giving breath with others. Transformation invites breath, life, and love. I stand before you today as someone who was changed from the inside out, someone who experienced transformation. I experienced transformation here in this place with you and because of you. I stood in this very place, in this pulpit almost 20 years ago, and preached the first sermon that I ever preached. Now, was it a sermon? Yeah, I'm not so sure. Uh, was it a good sermon? Yeah, I don't really think so. Was it received in love, with love, and with grace? Yes, yes, and yes. I was nurtured, loved, and encouraged by you. I was given the freedom and the support and hope to preach another sermon. I was coached. I was mentored. I was encouraged to be the best version of myself that I could be, that version of myself who God was calling me to be. It was people like Gary, Chad, Mary, Harold, Joan, people like John, Bill, Jeanette, Norma, Celia, Ruth. It was people who took the time to speak to me, to get to know me, to cheer me on, to have an encouraging word. 
in the ups and downs of this journey that we call life. Engaging in transformation is not a one-time event. It's not a one-and-done thing, but rather it's a process. It's a journey. It's a calling. I experienced transformation in this place again and again, the next month, the next year. And today, as we celebrate the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of God's people here at Glenview, I think and I pray about who will experience that transformation in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead. Who will experience the love of God, the grace of God, the power of God, because someone will take the time. God is active and at work in this place. God is active and at work in you. It is my deep prayer for Glenview that it will continue to be a place of transformation. Indeed, I have confidence that the good work that God began in this place in Jesus Christ continues. I wonder today, who will stand in this very place 20 years hence, saying that God is alive and active because you made a difference in their lives. Be thermostats, not thermometers. Be transformed, live transformed, transform. Amen.